On the 10th of January, 49 BC, Julius Caesar led his army across the Rubicon River in Italy, an event he marked, according to the historian Suetonius, with three simple words, Iacta alea est, the die is cast, by which he meant that historical events would from then on proceed according to fortune and fate. Whatever happened, conflict was inevitable. The event could not be undone. Caesar had not only broken the law, but the entire political order. The phrase, according to the Greek historian Plutarch, did not originate with Caesar, and it didn't even originate in Rome. It went back centuries earlier to a line from the Greek playwright Menander. The idea, no doubt, went back centuries earlier than Menander. Sometimes human affairs are relatively settled, orderly, predictable. At other times, people upend everything, at which point nothing is predictable. At those times, political prognostication ceases to be useful. Everything seems up to chance. Last night, Democrats in Fulton County arrested the former president of the United States and the current leader of the opposition. They took his mugshot like a common criminal in defiance of centuries of tradition and the universally agreed-upon meaning of the law. Anyone, left, right, or center, who tells you that he knows what happens now is either woefully ignorant of history, which today is entirely plausible, or he's lying, which is entirely plausible too. What was predictable is that something like this would happen eventually. America is not immune to history. America is not immune to human nature. Fundamental political shifts have occurred since the dawn of civilization. No regime lasts forever. And the only certainty now is that the die has been cast. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. We've got extremely astute commentary from a guy who runs a group called, I'm actually, I don't think I'm allowed to say on this network or in modern American society, the title of the group that he runs, but let me say, I could say Ninjas for Trump. He runs a group called Ninjas for Trump. And no, this man is not Japanese. He's very much an African-American. We'll get to that in just a moment. First though, the prosecutions. We talked to Jenna Ellis yesterday. There's another guy, another another friend of mine who was indicted. Uh, this is John Eastman. John Eastman, a great legal scholar, a former dean of Chapman Law School, very serious fellow, wonderful guy, who was arrested. And he saw the same historical parallel that I just saw. He says that the Rubicon has been crossed. It represents a crossing of the Rubicon for our country implicating the fundamental First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievances. As troubling, it targets attorneys for their zealous advocacy on behalf of their clients, something attorneys are ethically bound to provide, and which was attempted here by formally challenging the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means. 
an opportunity never afforded them or their clients in the Fulton County Superior Court. Sometimes people like to compare Trump to other world historic figures. They might compare him to a Julius Caesar type. But in this analogy, it's not Trump who crossed the Rubicon. It's the Democrats who crossed the Rubicon. By which I mean, and I think John means, we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody is going to predict what's going to happen. Caesar, when he said the die is cast or let the die be cast, didn't know what was going to happen. Maybe the Senate was going to win. Maybe Caesar was going to win. What that statement means is that conflict is now inevitable. How do you go back? We have for the first time ever in the United States arrested a former president. That would be bad enough. But we've arrested a former president who happens to be the current leader of the political opposition who's, who's beating Donald Trump, or who's, I'm sorry, who's beating Joe Biden in a number of polls, general election polls, who's 40 points ahead of his next rival in the GOP primary, who's a very serious leader of the opposition. How do you go back? What happens now? Are we just going to stop arresting former presidents? We're just going to stop arresting opposition leaders? You can't undo that. The regime has fundamentally changed. And this is the inevitable consequence of the, of the first time, you might say, the Democrats started to cross that Rubicon. And that was in 2020 when, I don't know, are we allowed to say this on YouTube? I, I'll put it this way. When the Democrats changed all of the election rules, in some cases illegally and unconstitutionally, to give themselves an advantage by opening up the system to fraud. And then they stopped counting the votes when it looked like Trump was going to win, and they waited a week or two, and then magically the Democrats started to win. That's how I'm going to put it, because I want to stay on YouTube. Uh, let's see how John Eastman puts it. Do you still think the election was stolen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Still. No question. No question in my mind. And you won't answer on immunity from prosecution? You won't answer that. Do you think that the others in this case have a standing on that, people like Meadows? Uh, no comment. Did they do a mugshot and everything inside? No comment. Thank you, sir. The thing I love about John Eastman, he's a very res- respectful guy. <laughs> he's a very amiable guy. Even as they're indicting him, he's, he's pretty buoyant. And he says, yeah, the election was stolen. Now, let's say you don't think the election was stolen. Plenty of people don't think the election was stolen. He does. So then the question is, regardless of what actually happened in the election, What are they prosecuting him for? He sincerely believes the election was stolen. Donald Trump, I think, sincerely believes the election was stolen. Even if Trump didn't sincerely believe it, frankly, even if John didn't sincerely believe it, every defendant has the right to legal counsel. So why are they going after Trump? They're going after Trump because he's a legal threat, and they're going after him illegally, and they've gone after him illegally since 2016, since the moment he announced his campaign. Is it really such a stretch to suspect that maybe they violated the law a little bit at their best opportunity to take him out? I don't think so. Speaking of taking out your political enemies, this is a story from a couple days ago. There's been an update to it, so I'm glad we're getting to it now. Mr. Prigozhin, who's the head of the Wagner Group, or if you're fancy, the Wagner Group in Russia, this is the Russian mercenary group, very serious fighting force, has reportedly been killed. The Russian Federal Air Transport Agency has announced an investigation to determine the cause of this aircraft crash in which Prigozhin and 10 10 passengers total were killed. 
Now, of course, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin has been a walking dead man for quite a while since he led a coup on on Moscow, on Vladimir Putin. Putin tends not to be so nice to people when they try to take him out. So we've been waiting for you know, a stray bullet to fly into Prigozhin's window or a little polonium to make it into his afternoon tea. And now it looks like the plane crashed. The update to the story is a second airplane that Prigozhin owned was seen landing in Moscow, oddly enough. And so some are suspecting that he may have faked his death and he might still be alive. And you, you might say that's totally crazy. He's done it before. <laughs> he did it one other time. He faked his death with an airplane crash. So there's a shot that he's done it again now. Uh, I, at first, I felt kind of bad for the other people who were on that plane. But then I thought, you know, I don't know, if you're flying around on a private plane with Prigozhin, you're, you're a little sus. You know, you're probably up to some fairly dubious activities. What's the lesson for us? There is a political lesson in the plane crash and potential assassination of Prigozhin. There's a lesson for us here in America, which we'll talk about in one second. But when you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Is your cell phone in desperate need of replacement? You know the signs, short battery life, so you got to have a charger on hand. Cracked screen gives the glass splinters. It's time to put that old phone to rest and upgrade to a new 5G Samsung Galaxy from Pure Talk for free. Get a free 5G Samsung Galaxy with two-day battery life, edge-to-edge display, ultra-strong Gorilla Glass when you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk text, and 15-gigabyte data plan for just 35 bucks a month. Plus, comes with a mobile hotspot. If you are not using Pure Talk, you are simply paying too much. Get all the data you could ever need for half the price of the big carriers on America's most dependable 5G network. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to Pure Talk. Visit puretalk.com slash Knowles and make the switch to my cell phone company. Pure Talk, the official wireless partner of The Daily Wire. Head on over right now to puretalk.com slash Knowles. If Prigozhin's plane crash after trying to take down Putin teaches us anything, it's a line popularized on the TV show The Wire. It's a line that goes back many centuries before that in various forms. If you come at the king, you best not miss. That's a lesson for everybody because Trump's rivals in the GOP race are learning that now. Someone like Ron DeSantis, who's an excellent governor, maybe the best governor of my lifetime, really amiable guy, very clear political vision, just all around terrific. I don't have enough nice things to say about Ron DeSantis. And yet we are beginning to see that it it was probably ill-advised of him to take on Donald Trump in 2024. That's probably ill-advised because Trump is dominant. I suspect his poll numbers are going to go through the roof after the release of the mugshot last night. And now DeSantis's political career is very likely over. It's not like he can just back away now. He took on Trump head on. And if you come at the king, you best not miss. Trump is learning that lesson too, though. Trump, unlike a lot of other squishy Republicans of the uniparty variety in recent decades, Trump actually threatened some of the most cherished values of our liberal ruling establishment. Those values would be immigration. Those values would be free trade and globalization, and those values would be war. And Trump threatened all three of those. No matter which party won over the last 30, 40 years, you'd get more of all three. You'd get more mass migration, more globalization, and more 
through through specifically through free trade and more war, no matter which party got elected. So things were simpatico. Then Trump comes in and threatens that, and they tried to kill him for it. I mean, they immediately, the moment he said, we're going to build a wall, we're going to stop the migration, we're going to renegotiate trade deals, especially on trade, that was pretty new for a major candidate in the Republican Party. It was a return to, to an older form of conservatism, but it was pretty new for the last 30, 40 years. They said, uh-uh, we're going to start spying on his campaign. We're going to cook up evidence through the fake Steele dossier. We're going to work with Hillary. We're going to work with the Democrats. We're going to try to take this guy out. We're going to do it through his entire presidency. We're going to rig the election, and then we're going to throw him in jail if he tries to run again. That's what they've been doing. And so Trump is learning that lesson, too. You come at the king, you best not miss the stakes are very, very high. And if we point back and say, well, look, they'd never actually arrest a presidential candidate. Well, no, look, they'd never actually spy on a presidential campaign. Well, no, they'd never actually uh, persecute people uh, for simply voicing their support and their, their political dissent. Why? No, they'd never arrest lawyers just for representing their clients. They'd never, they'd never, they'd never is gone, guys. We are in uncharted territory. So people are defending Trump. A lot of people are outraged by the obvious injustice. And one of those people leads a group that I'm, I'm not allowed to, I don't think I'm allowed to say it on the air. Probably not even allowed to say it in, in private company. Even though it's, it's a word that has a soft R, not a hard R. So it's a word that you hear in the popular culture. So I'm just going to say ninjas for Trump is the group that he leads. A lot of supporters going down into Fulton County uh, expressing their support for Trump as he was booked last night. Well, here is, to my mind, I'm not being ironic or sarcastic in any way. Here is one of the most articulate defenses of Trump and clear-eyed views of political philosophy. I have heard from a viral character in years. I'm here to support President Trump. You want to know why I'm here to support President Trump? Because they done did black men like this for decades make up charges and put them so I know Trump is innocent. I support Trump against this corrupt, two-tiered justice system. That's why I'm here to show my support as a black man for Trump. And I'm wearing my shirt and for Trump 2024, and I mean that. What do you think about the indictment? Oh, it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's going around the country. You know, Fanny, Fanny Willis, she's a, uh, she went to school with my sister. She's full of She was full of then. So she's a puppet for the white liberal. And that is controlling everything. She's in front, but the white liberal back there pulling those strings, telling her what to do. That's what I think about her, making a fool of herself. Do you think it's going to help his election? Oh, of course it is. It's going to elevate him all the way. I think we should make Trump king. That's how I feel. We should make him king. Wouldn't that be like kind of like communistic? No, nah, that's no way nothing near communist. Now nah, we're just going to make him king, but we still got our freedoms and rights and everything. He fought that. Yeah, Trump for king, 2024. This guy, I'm not joking, do not think that I am in any way being ironic. This guy is smarter and more insightful and has a clearer view of political philosophy than 97% of the chattering class, probably more, 98 or 99%. His name's Derek Gibson. He ran for governor of New York. I think he's running for Congress right now. This guy is smart and he connects with people because he is able to speak in a way that's entertaining and so he can go viral. Think about what he said there, even just at the end when he said, I think we should make Trump king. And the woman laughs and she says, isn't that kind of communistic? And all of a sudden the joke kind of stops and he looks at her and he says, wait, what? It's not, is, being a king 
is communistic? Do you not know anything about regime and political philosophy? Who on earth would say that monarchy is communistic? Good grief, lady. Not everything that isn't 1982-style liberalism is communist. Good grief. No. What does he say? He says, no, it's not. Monarchies have existed for all of human history. Communism has been around for about 200 years. Uh, No, there are some differences. Communists tend to subvert monarchies too, by the way. You know how the communists have overthrown a number of monarchies or attempted to overthrow a number of monarchies? The Bolsheviks, I don't think think that the monarch of Russia, I don't think Tsar Nicholas said, oh, wonderful, my fellow communists come in and kill my family. What are you talking about? He says, no, it's not. He says, it's not communistic. We'll still have our freedoms and our rights. He'll just be the king. And he, he's joking, obviously, but he's not joking about monarchy. There have been many monarchies throughout history that are much more free and are much better at protecting people's rights than supposed democracies. There have been many monarchies throughout history that are much more free, that are much better at protecting people's rights than our supposed democracy right now. Here's exhibit A. They're arresting all the dissidents and the lawyers simply for representing the opposition leader who they're arresting too. So preposterous. There's a very shallow liberal view that the only kind of regime that could ever possibly be good or legitimate is uh, democracy in the year of our Lord, 2023. Because a lot of these people will say, oh, even democracy 20 years ago, it was evil. It was oppressive. We didn't have all sorts of rainbow flags everywhere. It was awful. Give me a break. Going back to Polybius, we know. There, there are good monarchies. The bad version of monarchy is tyranny, but that's just where the, the one man ruling is ruling for himself rather than the common good. There are good aristocracies. They're bad, bad version. It's called oligarchy. And there have been perfectly lovely democracies, but there's a bad version called mob rule. Where are we right now? But then getting to the, to the first part of his political commentary, Mr. Gibson's, he says, when he's asked, what do you think of the charges here? Do you think there's any merit to the charge? He goes, ah, they're a bunch of BS. That is the only response I want to hear when the legal case against Donald Trump is brought up, because it's not a genuine legal case. None of this is being done in good faith. None of this is sincere. It's obviously a bunch of BS. The proof of that is, one, they don't ever prosecute Democrats who, even in recent memory, have committed much more egregious versions of the supposed crime that Donald Trump that Donald Trump committed. But furthermore, they'd get him for eating a ham sandwich. Think They, they impeached him for being pro-Russia, allegedly. They impeached him for being pro Ukraine, allegedly. They impeached him, or they investigated him for being pro-Russia. They, they impeached him for being pro-Ukraine, allegedly. They said that he's an insurrectionist. They said that he, he had an in-kind donation to his own campaign by sleeping with a porn star or something. They said that he raped a woman in Bergdorf Goodman's 30 years ago, even though she fantasized about how wonderful this would have been. There's no evidence that Trump has, has ever spent more than five seconds with this lady. It's just such obvious BS, and I just don't want to hear it from the the chattering class. Well, um, actually, you know, if you look at the case against Donald Trump, uh, actually, in paragraph four, it says that he, you know, he actually might. We should probably start imprisoning the political opposition. Give me a freaking break, man. Check your clock and know what time it is. Give me. I just don't want to hear it. You you hear this from very serious people, even Bill Barr, who I still have a considerable degree of respect for, at least as a political thinker, political operator. 
to say, well, this case is serious and this case is less serious. It's all a freaking witch hunt, man. Molly Hemingway made this point. You know, Stalin got his convictions, okay? Fidel Castro got his convictions. Chairman Mao got his convictions. They got their convictions through show trials of political enemies, which is exactly what we've got right now. I wish we could replace our elite chattering political class with Derek Gibson, leader of Ninjas for Trump. He's a much more serious and clear-minded thinker. You know, the old ways and more traditional practices, they're often scoffed at or demonized by the libs, but not all of them. The libs like to go back to really old practices, like really old occult demonic practices, the mystical practices of healing medicine and clairvoyance and opening doors in for demons and stuff, all in vogue for the libs. Is it all fake? Is it just a fantasy? There's just something more to it. Well, my guest, Jen Nizza, Nizza, if you were to pronounce it in the Italian way, explains exactly what happens if you open that invisible door and receive messages from beyond the veil. Check out this teaser for the next episode of Michael and Michael and the Former Psychic. When I was a real psychic medium, I really wanted to help people. I was told I had a gift from God, and that draws you in, right? It must have scared you when you discovered this ability. I wasn't scared until I started seeing scary things and hearing scary things and getting touched by demons. This episode comes out this Saturday. You do not want to miss it. Be sure to check out the ad-free, unedited version exclusively on Twitter at M. Knowles Show and Daily Wire Plus. My favorite comment yesterday is from Elberg Galarga 8909 What a name. Who says, Mike Pence looks like he's playing a Republican president in a movie written by a Democrat. <laughs> that is really specific and really spot on. And it's kind of a compliment to Pence, actually. In a way, because in in these Aaron Sorkin type movies, the Republican president type, they're usually not evil. They're not usually not, you know, Hitlerian figures or demonic figures. They're usually just like really stuffy, you know, really stuffy and straight laced. And they're not. Whereas the Democrat is always he's free spirited and open minded man. And he's just fighting for the people and the Republicans really stuffy. But I don't know, in our culture, which is so extremely free-spirited these days, perhaps we could use a little stuffiness. That wouldn't be so bad. Speaking of attacks on political dissidents, America's evil top hat, Canada, is going after our friend Jordan Peterson. Why are they going after Peterson? Well, they're trying to censor him. A Canadian uh, court is backing this psychologist organization, the College of Psychologists of Ontario, which has embraced radical... Going to have to bleep this one on YouTube, guys. Radical transgender theory. And because Jordan understands that men are not women, uh, they're, they're trying to take his, his license away. They're trying to go after him. The, the, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice has ordered Jordan to pay 25 grand to the College of Psychologists and upheld the order that he go through a social media education program. There was a headline. You got to see this headline. I just saw it pop up on, I'm just going to pull it up on my phone. I hate to have my phone out just generally, but this, this headline really spoke to me. This was, yeah, there's a headline about Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana goes on most insane 
anti-transgender rant during concert. This is an article by Aidan Vaziri. What was the insane rant? This is the first paragraph of the article. Carlos Santana delivered a speech laced with anti-transgender remarks during a recent performance in Atlantic City, New Jersey, telling the audience, quote, a woman is a woman and a man is a man. Insane! Can you believe this guy? What a total nut. What a wacko. Totally insane. That article is what they're going after Jordan for. This Jordan Peterson, he's gone totally insane. He's stating a basic truth. Why are they going after him? They're going after Jordan because he is effective. They're going after Jordan because unlike most people who come from the academy, most people even who are clinical psychologists, Jordan is reaching millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, They can't have that because he's reaching millions and millions and millions of people and telling them really basic things about how to improve their lives. We, we make fun of him because he says, well, make your bed, you know, clean up your room. And we, we laugh about this. The funny thing is that such basic advice needs to be stated out loud. That's how confused our culture is. And the libs don't like that. So they're, they're trying to make an example of him. Trying to, they're trying to not just go after Jordan, who it doesn't really affect. I don't think Jordan is taking all that many clients these days. He's traveling around the world giving speeches and writing books and doing movies. This is, this is a message for the other psychologists who dare to contradict the prevailing orthodoxies on sexual ideology. Jordan, Jordan doesn't need the money, but most other clinical psychologists do. So it's a warning message to them. Why, why are people turning to psychologists so much these days? Why are people turning into Jordan so much? People are anxious, okay? They're so anxious that... Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, nearly three patients in 100 who entered a healthcare facility uh, left with a newly diagnosed anxiety disorder. That rate is higher than cancer or diabetes, according to Truveta, which is a healthcare and analytics company. 40% of people who take the most popular antidepressants for anxiety disorders, because this is what the psychiatrists do. Not the psychologists who do cognitive behavioral stuff. We're talking about the drug dealers who just say, oh, you you don't like your mom? Here, get high. Take this drug and then you'll feel better. 40% of people who take those drugs receive little benefit, according to this study. Some need to stop the medications because they have awful side effects. And by the way, that 40% number who receive little benefit, that means that there's 60% who get some benefit. That 60% number those is probably inflated because research suggests that some of the benefits of antidepressants are just placebo. So people pop the pill and they think that they're supposed to feel better and they do. So even to say that 60% of people get some benefit from these drugs, probably overstating it. Why are people so anxious? Whole host of reasons. The, the, Obviously, the most fundamental reason when we're talking about any aspect of the human condition is going to be a religious problem because religion forms the the basis of our belief about everything. Everything flows from there. Our views of anthropology, our views of epistemology, our views of morality, our views of politics, everything comes from the fundamental question, who's God? Is there a God? Is there meaning? What does it mean to be? What is... Even ontology, what does it mean to be, comes, comes from theology. So that's the first one. But then there are just these political issues, which is things are unsettled. I don't think you need to go pie in the sky, really abstract, 
to, to get to the heart of why we're anxious now. We're anxious because our, our entire way of life is unsettled. We're anxious because the ruling class can arrest the opposition leader and his lawyers and his friends just for supporting him. We're anxious because the meaning of marriage has completely been exploded. We're anxious because we're, our economy is completely up in the air and we can't reliably make any money. And even if we can reliably make money, most people are going to be saddled with a ton of debt with no end in sight. We're, we're anxious because inflation is going through the roof and we can't afford eggs, especially I can't afford eggs because my wife wants to buy $50 eggs where they have three college degrees. We, we are saddled with mountains and mountains of debt. We've got increasing turmoil around the world, the potential of World War III. No wonder people are anxious. This is, this, this is a problem of not being settled. And some things fly out of our control. We talked at the top of the show about crossing the Rubicon and at a certain point, you, you feel as though your, your future is up to chance. But we can settle certain things. We didn't need to explode the meaning of marriage. We don't need to ply our country with all sorts of vice that turns us all into maniacs like drugs and porn and all the rest of it. We don't, we don't need to open up our borders and let foreigners come in to the tune of three and a half, four and a half million a year. We don't need to let criminals off the hook. We don't need to do any of that. Okay, and this is why I, I often extol the virtues of a tiny little nation over in Central Eastern Europe. That would be Hungary. What Hungary has done, Hungary's gone through a lot of turmoil, 45 years of communist oppression. Hungary has made a very concerted effort to settle things, to settle things in a way that is quite traditional, that people can rely on. They just celebrated the anniversary of St. Stephen Day, the beginning of their country, founded on the, the crown of St. Stephen over a thousand years ago. We, we are not going to fix the anxiety pandemic, the real pandemic, by continuing to innovate and reinvent the wheel and invent 10 more sexual identities and rewrite the Constitution and rewrite all of our laws. We're going to fix the anxiety epidemic. Here's the best advice. You, you don't need to spend a billion dollars on your psychiatrist. I'm going to give you the advice right now. We're going to fix it by being normal. Just endeavor to be normal and do normal things. It will help you quite a lot. Another reason people are anxious, by the way, I'll have to tease this. This is going to be my tease until Monday. You know I'm such a tease. Uh, homes are shrinking. We talk about how the liberals want to make us all eat the bugs and live in the pods and own nothing and be happy. Well, here's that second one in action. Headline, goodbye bathtub and living room. America's homes are shrinking. They're shrinking considerably. We've seen a lot of shrinkflation recently. You go to the grocery store and instead of getting, you know, 12 ounces in your, in your jar of sauce, you're going to get eight ounces and you're going to see things start to shrink. Well, homes are shrinking too. The whole civilization is shrinking. Families, children, countries, it's all shrinking. Well, we'll get to that. Hopefully we don't shrink down to nothing before the Monday show when we talk about it. But now, folks, are you sick of woke corporations dragging your values through the mud? Wash your hands of it with Jeremy's brand new hand soap. Jeremy's hand soap is the perfect solution for everyday grit and grime. Not to mention it smells amazing as it is scented with green tea and citrus. Jeremy cares about you, so he didn't put any of that paraben crap in his hand soap. Not only is it paraben free, it's also free of sulfates, DEI, and ESG for that matter. Plus, it's not tested on animals and it's made right here in the US of A. What more could you want from your hand soap than to get clean hands while keeping a clean conscience? So do yourself a favor. Wash your hands of hypocritical libs once and for all. 
Jeremy's Hand Soap is the ideal addition to your bathroom or kitchen sink as you liberate your home from the influence of woke companies. Go to jeremysrazors.com, order your green tea and citrus hand soap today. Finally, finally, we've arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to Pure Talk today. Take it away. Hey, Mike. I was just laid off from my job doing spreadsheets at a widget factory, so I'm applying to other jobs at other widget factories. And it's been a while since I've done a job application. I've been at this widget factory for almost seven years. Um, And I'm finding that the standard relevant information that they need to know is updated to not only include your employment history and your skills, but also your sexual orientation. Uh, So my question is, is it wrong to check the box to say I'm queer or asexual or something like that? I don't want to lie to an employer, but I know that my application's probably at a disadvantage if they see that I'm a straight white male versus maybe an asexual white male. Curious on your thoughts. If you need to pretend to be sexually deviant to get a job, and then you get that job, do you really think you're going to thrive and flourish at that company? I don't know. I I see the temptation now. It's like the temptation of a kid wanting to check off that he's a a racial minority on a college application because he knows white people get discriminated against. This, This one, though, is... You can at least say, well, you know, my great, 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 great grandma had high cheekbones and might have been a quarter Apache or something. Uh, and this one, though, <laughs> you, 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 can't, you can't even write this off to the mists of time and genealogy because you know whether you're a little um, light in the loafers or not. You know if you think you're the opposite sex or not. And so you would be lying. So it's always wrong to lie. The ends do not, good ends do not justify immoral means. But just at a practical level. If your company, if this company that you're applying to will only hire you if you pretend to be Liberace or, you know, if you do a drag show on casual Fridays, that's not a company that you're going to want to work for. I'm I'm not saying you don't need money. People got to get a job, but there are better ways to make money than that. Next question. Hey, movie star Mike. It's the Shuckmeister. I've got a question about your favorite movie, Me, Myself, and Irene, which I just watched for the first time a few weeks ago. Recently on Music Monday, you mentioned a scene from the Blues Brothers, which is actually my favorite movie because it's an absurdist comedy with Catholic undertones set near where I grew up. I was wondering, though, why is Me, Myself, and Irene your favorite movie, other than it being an absurdist comedy with Catholic undertones (laughs) set near where you grew up? I want a Roger Ebert-esque response because this film was much raunchier than I expected (laughs) for such a trad person like yourself. Love the show. Thanks. Thank you. Great question. It, it's very raunchy. I, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, I think I saw it when I was about nine years old or 10 years old, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for young audiences. But to your point, you say, well, it's this absurdist movie with Catholic undertones. You might even just say with traditional wholesome undertones. Oddly enough, for a movie that uses all sorts of vulgar language and has all sorts of vulgar images in it, it's oddly wholesome. The point of the movie is pretty wholesome. It's very funny. It's just funny at every single step of the way. Uh, but it it's a in being so hilarious, which is what I'm looking for in these kinds of comedies, it actually gets across a message that is pretty conservative and normal and true. If you took out all of the 
individual vulgar elements and you just replace them with a wholesome alternative, then the story of the movie would be would be very very conservative, would be very trad. But it's it's just, it's so funny. It's just, it's it's Jim Carrey's best work by far. Just I just love it. Next question. Dirty Mike, what's up, baby? This is Tyler or Halo in your chat. Hey, I've got a quick question about an ethical principle you talk about on the show in which immoral means are never justified by positive outcomes. I was wondering if you could elaborate on the principle in general, but I've got two specific examples I could think of. One involves politics and how Mitch McConnell uh, uh, slowed things down in Trump's first Supreme Court nominee so that Trump could get that nominee appointed after the election and Obama wasn't able to do it. And yet in the most recent example, Mitch McConnell sped things up so that Trump could get the last Supreme Court nominee in before Biden was elected. Only one of these seems to be the true way to go. So it seems immoral for him to support both. And yet this led to Roe v. Wade being overturned, which was obviously very good. Another example involves the Second Amendment. I heard of a case last year where an individual carried a firearm into a shopping mall where firearms were banned, and yet he was able to stop a mass shooting. So is it ever justified to use immoral means for a positive outcome? Yeah, it's never justified to commit evil for a, a preferred good outcome. Uh, in the case of Mitch McConnell, I, I guess I would just ask, what is the immoral action that he committed? You're saying that for the Scalia vacancy, he he dragged the process out to wait until Trump got elected so that they could put a conservative judge in. But then in another case, uh, he sped the process up also so that Trump could put a conservative judge in. But speeding up or slowing down the process of of a a judicial nomination has nothing to do with morality or immorality. If he refused to do it entirely, or if he, I don't know, if he lied or cheated or did, but he didn't do any of that. He He just used tactics that were neither moral nor immoral. They were, they were, totally at his disposal. And ultimately, I think they were probably the, if they were either moral or immoral, I think they were on the side of morality because they they were conducive to a good end without committing any evil in the process. Um, now, in the case of, what was your second example? The, uh, can we go back to the second? I didn't hear it. What was the second example? Can we play that again? Oh, the, the mall shooter. So a guy, a guy's not supposed to bring a gun into a shopping mall, but he does. And then another guy brings a gun in, so he shoots the guy. Uh, that's a happy outcome. But he did still break the law by taking the gun into the shopping mall. He couldn't have known. I mean, the odds that there would be a shooting in a shopping mall are infinitesimally small. Uh, if everybody just broke the law and brought their guns into shopping malls, they're in this particular place, which is probably a very liberal place where people don't have good gun discipline, bad things could happen. And if everybody just violated the law willy-nilly, we'd have anarchy about. So I don't think that is justified, though we are reminded that God can turn bad things to good and and frequently does, and that's what providence is. I hope that clears it up. The, to, the, to the broader point, you ask, where does this view come from that good ends don't justify bad means? It's just different, different approaches to ethics. You know, one that prevails today is called consequentialist ethics, which is that the morality of an action is to is dependent entirely on the consequence. Uh, there are other visions of ethics, deontological ethics, you know, like Kant, and uh, you know the idea that the 
It's the action itself that that determines the morality, uh, regardless of the consequence. And virtue ethics, you know, going back to good old Uncle Aristotle, which has is, is come much more into fashion again in recent years. So uh, I hope that helps. Michael, long-term fan of yours. Thanks for all you do. Yesterday, I went to the dentist of all places and everything was going swimmingly. The x-rays, meeting the doctor, everything seemed normal until I went to go for my cleaning. To my surprise, the dental hygienist was a trans, a man with long fingernails and with a female name. He was clearly taking hormones, which was made obvious by the severe facial acne. I let him continue to do the cleaning, but I kept reliving the moment, wondering what I should have done. It honestly felt like a bad dream. Michael, tell me, should I have run? What would you have done? Thanks for your wisdom. Good question. I would not have run, especially if it were something relatively minor, just like a teeth cleaning. I would have stuck it out probably and just been polite, but I wouldn't go back to that dentist because that dentist is hiring crazy people to perform procedures on patients, which is extremely irresponsible, both to the confused guy who thinks he's a chick and certainly for the patients. It's very irresponsible. So no, if if you have a defect of perception that is so severe that you don't know what sex you are, or conversely, if you have a defect of will and desire so severe that, that your will is so perverted that you would ignore reality uh, to, to pursue a fantasy such as that, then I don't want you operating on me in any way. I want you to get the help that you need to be uh, back into society in a way that's conducive to your flourishing and social flourishing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. And then maybe after a while, a dentist will get the message that y- you got to hire people who have their wits about them, who, who are able to exercise even their most basic uh, faculties of reason uh, when we're talking about patients' health. Okay. Before we get to the member segmentum, we can actually get to a written mailbag today. This is from Jason. Good afternoon. Crème de la Zadinoz, crème de la père, crème de la papa. Hello. Bonjour, père. Père knows. Hello. Uh, the love guru of the Daily Wire. I have a question about a relationship I'm in. I recently found out that the girl I am with and love had a sexual past with some of my high school classmates who are still distantly in my social circle. Well, I don't want to judge her for her past. I can't stop myself from being angry that they took advantage of her in that intimate way. This has honestly bothered me to the point of me thinking about breaking it off. Am I wrong to be feeling this way? How can I get past it? Thanks. Well, you're writing this in a really chivalrous way, but your problem is not that your social circle from high school, you know, your former classmates took advantage of this poor girl. The problem you have is that she willingly slept with them, right? unless it was a, a real violation or something. That's really what's bothering you, is that, that her will, which, like the will of virtually every young person, certainly a great deal of them, was a, a little out of whack with reason, uh, did this, and you got to live with that. Uh, so that's bugging you. And I would say, if you can get over it, then just get over it. You know, we've, we've all sinned, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It, it matters, you know, how she is now. How her, how her conduct is now, where her aim is now, where she's going. You know, the, the saints did not all start well, but they all ended well. So if you can get over it, then get over it. If you can't, 
if that's just too much of a hangup, and I get it, because it's not even like you're saying in the abstract, I know this, this woman slept with a lot of guys, but you know, look, I don't know these guys. I don't know what their faces look like. I don't care. I'm never going to meet these guys. But in this case, you're saying, well, I know them. <laughs> you know, they were, we were in math class together and I can't get it out of my head. If you can't get it out of your head, if you're going to be resentful about this, just break up with her. It's going to be better for her. It's going to be better for you if you can't get over it. If you can get over it, if, if you say, look, reasonably, this girl did some things. Maybe I did some things. Maybe I did some things I shouldn't have done. And uh, okay, we're going to just call it there and move on into the future. Then I think that's fine. I don't think, you know, there's any particularly compelling reason for you to dump the poor girl, but unless you can't get over it, in which case you're just going to build up that resentment and hold a grudge for the rest of your life. That's not, not good for anybody. The rest of the show, my friends, continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member and use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 